So our main text today, you guys, is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. And Ezekiel is one of the writings of an Old Testament prophet whom God spoke for through, most of it through to the nation of Israel, um, spoken to the nation of Judah, the split kingdom of Israel. But also God started speaking out in chapter 36 a proclamation of what the new covenant was going to look like when the Messiah would come. Our text today, you guys, is verse 27 in Ezekiel 36, and it says this, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Let's take a look closely at what Christ had called at the end of Luke chapter 20, or sorry, Luke chapter 24, as he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What Jesus called the promise of my Father, Peter in Acts chapter 2 calls the gift of the Holy Spirit as he spoke from the rooftop in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And he says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's look closely at this empowerment and this gift that Christ made available to us as God spoke and he said, I will put my spirit within you. First of all, as we look at that promise, that promise is a gracious word. It's a gracious word spoken in context in chapter 36 of Ezekiel to a graceless people. God's people had followed their own ways and they refused to follow the ways of God. Up in verse 18 of chapter 36, God says, I poured out my fury on them. These people had been highly favored but abused their privileges and behaved worse than those who never knew the Lord. I say that because even in the midst of this disobedience and blasphemy as to who God was, the God of Israel, this promise was made. I will put my spirit within you. What a wonderful word of grace. For the law says nothing of the kind. The law proclaims the statutes, but only the gospel alone promises the Spirit to enable us to obey and desire to walk in His ways. Only by the Spirit of God. So in the midst of who the nation of Israel was, you've got this word of grace being spoken that said, listen, I will put my Spirit within you. Taking a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. is a neat verse to explain some of this. Philippians 2.13 sp 
speaks like this. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see, it's God who works. God works in us to plant the desire for God's will to be done. It says he works in us both to will and to do. So God not only grants us the desire to want to accomplish his will, but God also gives us the equipping and the enablement to go forth and do this for his his good pleasure. This great blessing could never be by merit, you see. It couldn't be by wage for human service. This amazing gift absolutely must be an act of divine grace because no man can truly say they are deserving of God's special promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. This word is a divine word. Who else but the Lord could speak like this? I will put my spirit within you. To put any good thing into the deceitful heart of man is a great achievement, right? But to put the Spirit of God inside of man can only be done by the finger of God. Who but the God of Israel can speak forth and declare beyond all dispute, I will put my Spirit within you. Men have to surround their promises and their resolutions with uncertainties and, and conditions. We don't have the power to make absolutely certain that a promise is going to be done. But because the Lord backs his promises with omnipotence, the promise of this sacred verse is absolutely certain to be fulfilled. And it's certain because it's divine. It's the word of God. If we have saved, as saved sinners were given the task of saving others, we break down and fail. We don't have that kind of capability. But when the Lord himself comes on the scene, the work's done. All the difficulties are removed by this one promise of God saying and promising, I will put my spirit within you. This word is of grace, and it's of God. Let's regard it then as a pledge from the God of grace. This word also, this, this promise in Ezekiel 36, 27, is also an individual word and a personal word. And as I grew up and started kind of understanding spiritually, I guess, this context it looks like it's spoken to the nation in a corporate sense alone, right? Spoken to the nation of Israel. What's so exciting is to meditate on this verse and understand that when God says, I will put my spirit within you, it's a promise to us as individuals. Take a look at the verse prior. The verse prior in Ezekiel 36 verse 26. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So let's analyze that for a second. Let's just look at this promise. 
A new heart, see, can only be given to one person. The same for a new spirit. Within each individual, this work must be done. So the context of our verse requires that this promise is to individuals, one by one. We are born one by one. We die one by one. We must be born again one by one. And each one must receive the Spirit of God for himself. Without this gift of the Spirit, we have no hope of walking worthy of the calling that God's placed on our lives. If we've been striving in the flesh, and this is what we pray is not happening, this is why we pray for the people, the team that we've sent out to Nepal, that they get pushed beyond their capabilities. Because if they've been striving in the energy of their flesh, there's no success in that. God doesn't honor who we are. God honors who he is. So if we've been striving in the, the, the strength and the power of our flesh, we just don't understand where our true strength lies. Take a look in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, let's see, the next to the last book in the New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament, right before the New Testament. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. So how was God's work accomplished? It's accomplished by this promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. This word is a separating word. Because men by nature are of another spirit than that of God. They are under the subjection to that evil spirit, right? The prince and the power of the air. But when the Lord comes to gather his own, he effects a separation by fulfilling this word. He says, I will put my spirit within you, and the individual becomes a new man. Those who have the spirit are not of the world or like the world. Back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, 15, I believe. says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Real similar set of verses describing the separation that takes place with the giving of the Holy Spirit of God is found at the end of James, just a couple pages before. James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of God, or sorry, who wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. James even, um, as he was, from what we can see, um, ruling the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 
speaks forth this verse, this verse in verse 14. He says, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. We are not to cling to the old wreck as if we can fix her and bring her safely into port. Our cry is, take to the lifeboat. We are to leave the wreck, be separate from the wreck, or we will certainly be lost. Our only hope of doing good to the world is by being not of the world, just as Christ was not of the world. In John chapter 17, verse 16, it says, They are not of the world, Christ is saying this, just as I am not of the world. So the Spirit of God, wherever he comes, creates an ever-widening gulf between those who are led by the Spirit and those who are under the dominion of the flesh. So this is a, a separating word. I will put my spirit within you. This promise also is a uniting word. This promise may separate from the world, but it unites unto God. When God says, I will put my spirit within you, this is not just a spirit, but it's his spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Have you ever stopped to consider how the poor body is sanctified, dedicated, and elevated, into that sacred condition of being set apart to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. God himself dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God and the spirit seals you, anoints you, and abides in you. By the Spirit, we have access to the Father. By the Spirit, we perceive our adoption and we cry out, Abba, Father. By the Spirit, we are made partakers of the divine nature. Okay, that's what it speaks in 2 Peter chapter 1. And by the Spirit, we have communion with the triune Holy Lord. This promise is a condescending word. Look at it this way. Is it really true that the Spirit of God, who displays the power and the force of God, by whom God's word is carried out, who moved on the face of the waters, who brought order and life from chaos and death, is the one who lowers himself to reside in man? It's a very condescending word. The incarnation of our Lord and Savior is an amazing and wonderful mystery as God himself became man with a perfect and sinless nature. But how much more amazing is it, you guys, for the Holy Spirit to bow himself to dwell in sinful man? In men who, 
even after conversion, still find the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. He dwells in men who are not perfect, even though they yearn to be so. I will put my spirit within you, means the Holy Spirit is in our imperfect nature. Man, isn't that amazing grace? That's undeserved. Jesus has gone away for now, that the comforter may be given to dwell in us. Let us admire, let us worship, and let us praise the name of this wonderful, condescending God. Let nothing defile the temple of God in you. Let the Holy Spirit's whisper be law to us. Let's not quench or grieve the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit still speaks. Take a look at Isaiah, or sorry, 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I'll kind of back this up a little bit with a little back, background story. Elijah, um, last week we talked about Elijah um, in 1 Kings 18, um, showing the power and strength of God as he uh, put the almighty God of heaven and earth against Baal and had that competition as to let the fire come down from heaven to um, consume the sacrifice. Uh, you guys remember that story from last week, last Sunday. In chapter 19, as we begin in verse 11, what happened is Elijah has been running from Jezebel and Ahab, scared to death that those that, that nation is, is ready to persecute and, and kill him. And so he's hiding in this cave. And in verse 11, the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God still speaks. Let us listen to his still, small voice. And then we'll know the meaning of that promise that God says, I will put my spirit within you. This promise is a spiritual word. This promise has absolutely nothing with what we wear, with the eloquence of our speech. It has absolutely nothing to do with our outward rites or ceremonies. There's something infinitely greater in the promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. To give you a little bit of background on the Hebrew words that are translated within you, okay, in that little verse or beginning of that verse 27, it would read like this. I, would, I will put my spirit in the midst of you. And what that means is this sacred deposit 
will be put deep down into our life's secret place. Not on the surface of man, but down into the very depth of the center of his being. Into the very core of us. It's an intensely spiritual matter with no material or visible being mixed in. It's spiritual because it's the Holy Spirit who's given internally within our spirits. This promise is an effectual word. Look how this word is operative or effectual. Reading that verse 27 in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. The spirit is operative. First, he's operative on the inner life in that he causes us to love the law of the Lord. Then he moves us openly to keep his statutes concerning himself and his judgments between us and our fellow men. If a man is whipped into obedience, it proves to be of little worth. But when obedience springs out of a life within, from deep down on the inside, it's priceless. God puts his spirit so deep down into our heart that the whole nature feels it. And it works upward like a spring from the bottom of a well. It comes from the inside of our being, from the inside of our very nature, and springs up. If the spirit were planted in our memory, we may forget it. If it were planted in our intellect, we may err in using it. But planted deep within us, touches the whole man and has dominion over us without the fear of failure. Blessed is the man who knows by experience the Lord's words in John chapter 4 verse 14. As Christ is speaking to the woman at the well when he says this. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. God says, I will put my spirit within you. Let's look at the effects of this promise. One of the first effects that we can see is, is, is a quickening. As far as how the Spirit manifests the facts that he dwells in men, I think one of the first effects is that. It's quickening. By nature, we're dead to all heavenly and spiritual things. But when the Spirit of God comes, we begin to live. We begin to feel the power and holiness of God makes us tremble. The love of Christ makes us weep. We begin to grow spiritually and we're grieved by our sin. Man cannot make you feel, cannot make you sorry for your sin, cannot make you desire eternal life. But it is fulfilled 
by the Lord who makes that promise. I will put my spirit within you. The life of the spirit causes man to pray. Take a look in Luke chapter 18, verse 13. In that section of story that Christ is speaking, he begins in verse 10 as he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And in verse 13, it says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Christ says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The cry of the living child that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When God plants his spirit within us, we have a new mind towards sin. And a new hope and trust in Jesus Christ for our pardon and for our salvation. And here's another thing. I mean, just as the Holy Spirit at first gives the quickening, he must also revive and strengthen it. So when we become dull or dry, where God wants us is to cry out for this promise of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we don't feel devoted or we need that personal intimacy of communion with our God, let's plead the promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. Because then you will be lively enough, bright enough, strong enough, and happy enough when the Holy Spirit is mighty within us. One of the effects of the promise is enlightenment. After quickening, the Holy Spirit gives enlightening. Men cannot make men see spiritual truth, for we are blind. But when the Lord puts his spirit within us, our eyes are opened. What a mercy to see Christ, to look at him, and to be enlightened. By the Spirit, souls see things in their reality. We see truth and we perceive them as facts. The Spirit of God illuminates every believer and enables them to see even more marvelous truth out of God's Word. But this never happens until the Spirit of God opens our eyes. Look at what the Apostle Peter speaks forth back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We've used this verse a number of times before, but just take a look at this. How it reads, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a marvelous light because this light comes to the blind and to the dead. 
It's marvelous because it reveals truth in clarity. When we're puzzled over understanding the word of God, let's don't give up in despair, but let's plead the promise of God that says, I will put my spirit within you. For here lies the only true light of the soul. Let's look at the promise or the effect of conviction. Conviction is persuasive. It's the setting of a truth before the eye of the soul to make it powerful on the conscience. The Holy Spirit strips sin of all excuse and sets it in the light of the truth. We're convicted, right? The point of contact between a sinner and Christ is sin. The Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins. He never gave himself for our righteousness. He comes to heal the sick. And the point he looks to is our sickness. No one ever knows sin as his own personal ruin until the Holy Spirit shows it to him. Conviction regarding the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord comes in the same way. We don't know Jesus as our Savior until the Holy Spirit's put within us. John chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So comprehending present salvation personally as your own comes by being convinced by the Holy Spirit. This conviction comes from him of whom the Lord says, I will put my spirit within you. Let's take a look at the effect of purification. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. When the Spirit comes, he infuses new life. And that new life is a fountain of holiness. At the same time, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the soul gives a death blow to the power of sin. Sin is sentenced as an executed criminal at that point. The old, nature, the old nature still struggles in its dying agonies, right? But it's doomed, and it must die. We never overcome sin by our own power or by an energy other than the power of the Holy Spirit. As the spirit of judgment, the Holy Spirit pronounces sentence on sin, and then he executes the death penalty on what he's judged. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul prays out a prayer of this holiness. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the result of of the Holy Spirit being put within us. 
The Holy Spirit wets the soul with purity until he saturates it. What a blessing to have a heart so saturated by holy influences that it can be wrung out like the fleece of Gideon. Let's look at preservation. The effects of this promise is preservation. Where he dwells in power, men do not fall. He works in them a watchfulness against temptation day by day. He helps them to wrestle against sin. He works in a believer's union to Christ, where he is the source and the guarantee of all acceptable fruitfulness. All true fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. Every true prayer must be praying in the Holy Spirit. He helps our weaknesses in prayer, according to Romans chapter 8. Even the hearing of the word of the Lord comes from the Spirit. For John said in Revelations chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Everything that comes of the man or is kept alive in the man is first infused by the Holy Spirit of God, then sustained and perfected by the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus explains the priority and the importance of that. As he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. We never go an inch toward heaven in any other power than that of the Holy Spirit. We cannot even stand fast or remain steadfast, except as we are upheld by the Holy Spirit of God. So how can we hold on in such a world like as this? Here's the answer. The promise says, I will put my spirit within you. The Spirit is the army of God within our redeemed humanity, and he will keep us to the end. We know this verse in chapter 4 of Philippians real well, right? It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. One of the effects of this promise is guidance. The Holy Spirit's with us also for guidance. He's given to us to lead us into all truth. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He opens up, up to us one truth after another by his light and by his guidance. He is our practical guide to heaven, helping us uh, direct us on that upward journey. For guidance in our daily lives, we don't always have to be running to this friend or that friend. Do we not know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us? Let us wait on the Lord in silence. Let us sit quietly before the revelation of God. 
Because he who lives within, who is infinitely wise, speaks. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, says this. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Guys, that's my prayer for the team that's in Nepal. That they would hear God's voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. The Holy Spirit will guide us in life. He'll guide us in death. And he'll guide us into glory. He will guard us from modern error. And he'll guard us from ancient error. And he'll guide us through the darkness. These things he will do for us. And he will never forsake us. For he's the giver of that promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. As the final effect of this promise, consolation. The Holy Spirit is our great comforter. If we find ourselves in the midst of a hard trial or tribulation, no man can help us into peace, but the Holy Spirit can. God, I pray, grant your Holy Spirit to every seeker who has failed to find rest. Put your spirit within him, and he will find the rest of Jesus. You guys remember Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30? Where Christ's invitation says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those of us believers who, wor who are worried, remember that worry and the Holy Spirit are very contradictory to one another. When God gives the promise, I will put my spirit within you, it means that you'll become gentle, peaceful, submitted, and acquiescent to the divine will. Then you'll have faith in God that all's well. We're commanded by Christ at the end of Matthew 6, where he says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, he says back in Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things pray, right? Do you know how he backs that up? The five words prior to be anxious for nothing is, the Lord is at hand. And in all of this, as the worship team, if you guys want to come forward and we get ready to close this down. In all of this, we need to remember one fact. It's Jesus, it's Jesus who opened the floodgates of heaven that we might be blessed with the very spirit of God living in us. It's Jesus who paid the ultimate price on the cross by his death and resurrection who made this wonderful promise available to all who would believe and confess in Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus Christ offered himself up on the cross and died the death substitutionarily for us, the veil was torn from top to bottom. We were given access to the very throne room of God. And we were also given access to this great and powerful promise that God says, I will put my spirit within you. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, we plead with you your promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. Lord Jesus, we pray for the teams and the missionaries that have been sent abroad, for the wonderful men and women that have been sent from this local body to Nepal. Lord, that you will make it true right now in the midst of their sleeping, Lord, as it's nighttime over there, the truth of the promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. God, I pray for us here. I pray for the home team. I pray, Lord, that as we extend ourselves beyond our own capabilities, God, that you will meet us with the precious promise that says, I will put my spirit within you. Lord, have we been walking with the if we've been walking with you for a long time and we feel dry, Lord, we feel weak. We have not had the wonderful, blessed communion of your presence. God, meet us in that place. Allow us to claim your promise. This is, I will put my spirit within you. Jesus, I pray that your will be done. But we understand that your will can only be done by and through your spirit, by and through your power, for your glory. God, we claim that promise. We so exalt your holy name. We lift you up, Lord. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.